Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revive Podcast. We're excited you're here. This podcast will include our Sunday morning Sunday school class, our worship night teachings, and an occasional fun interviews. I'm excited to share with you this week's episode. But, okay, so let's go Colossians 1. Um, we're actually going to pick up halfway through a prayer. So if you remember, we're going through the prayers of Paul. So we've taken all semester of last semester and like the first part of this semester to go through the entire book of Acts where we've looked at what was it like in the early church for them to learn to follow Jesus? What was it like for a bunch of new believers to learn to follow Jesus? I think that, you know, relates to us a lot. Some of us are real young in our faith. And what does it look like as a group of young believers to learn to follow Jesus together, to do it in community? And so the book of Acts is a story of the early, early church. And we saw about how the Holy Spirit living within them, how they were able to change the world. And we even talked about how they turned the world upside down. You remember that day when we said, you've turned the world upside down? We handed out cool little stickers. Well, so we then transitioned after the book of Acts to look at Paul's prayer life. So we now know the story of Paul, how God took a man who was a murderer, how God took a man who was tormenting the church, how God interacted with him, and that changed his whole life. I love that story. Like, I was this, then I met God, and I've been totally different. And, like, that's the, that's the basics of all testimony. And he talks about how he was, he's been changed and his perception on things been totally altered. So we've been spending the last few weeks looking at, well, how does Paul pray? Like, what would it look like for us to pray like Paul did? What would it look like for us to pray like an apostle? And not that there's magic in these words, but we can begin to grasp that there's a deeper prayer life. There's a, a praying life for you to live in. It's not just for you to say, God, please help them as you see them going down the street. But it's for you to live into a life of prayer, a continual life of prayer. So we're just looking at some of the things that Paul has prayed and try to understand what would it look like for us to take these things, pray them for our own life, but also praying for the people around us, right? All right, is everybody awake? Go like this. I need, I need this. All right. All right. Y'all are in dangerous territory if I want to sleep this morning. So, um, so we're talking about prayer, and we're talking about what does it look like to take the things of Paul and begin to put them into our own prayer life. Last week, we looked at a text in Colossians chapter 1, and we actually stopped his prayer halfway through, because there was no way I would finish the whole thing in one week. So we, we stopped his prayer one, halfway through, and we're going to go back and finish that prayer today. Which is, it's interesting, though, today that it, it happens on this day, because... The first part of the prayer is going to be a continuation of what Paul's already saying, and we're going to discuss that in a second. But then the second half is about salvation, and it's about how people get brought into the family of God. And I think that's a real um, timely prayer for where God has us as a church right now. So I'm excited about this. So let's go ahead and look at Colossians 1. I want to go ahead and and read um, verse 9 and 10. These are the things that we talked about last week. I want us just to get a running start before we dive straight into verse 11. And so let's go ahead and look at Colossians 1, um, verse 9. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So this is what we talked about. Last week, he says, you know, from the day we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. What if he's heard? Well, there's Paul has heard from the church of Colossae that they had come to faith in Jesus and had turned to the Lord. And so when he heard that they had turned to the Lord, 
and that they were beginning to love everyone. If you go back and you can see that in verse, verse 4, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you've had for all the saints, we have not stopped thanking the Lord. We have not stopped praying for you. He says, since I've heard about what's happening in your life, I ain't stopped praying. I love that. It reminds me of a friendship. When you hear about what God's doing in someone's life and say, man, since I've heard about what God's been doing in your life, I haven't stopped praying for you. I haven't stopped thanking God for what he's doing in your life, believing that God's an active God. So that's how he starts off his prayer. We haven't ceased to pray for you. Then he says, here's what I've been praying for you, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, he says, I've been praying that you might have God's perspective on life. That the perspective that you have would not be just from you, but you might have God's perspective, God's wisdom in your current life. And we, we talked about how he prays for perspective first before he prays for action. But often in our own life, we jump to our best action rather than waiting on God to give us perspective. How we often just jump into a situation with our best ideas rather than asking God, all right, God, help me to see this in your light. Help me to see this the way that you see that. So he's praying for them to have perspective. Furthermore, he goes on to say that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and that you would bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. He says there's a way to live in the family of God. You have now entered into the family of God. He's celebrating that this church has entered into the family of God. He says there's a way to live in this family, and I pray that you are living in that way, a life of surrender, a life of obedience to God, the life of a believer, and is that you're bearing fruit in your life. That as you sit with the Lord, as you abide, you bear fruit. Last week we talked about John 15 where he says the only way to bear fruit is to abide in the Lord. You cannot bear fruit on your own ability. It's absolutely impossible. It's only possible to bear fruit in our life if we want to abide, which relates to all of us because how many of y'all like want to bear fruit in your Christian life? Like all of us, like yes, that signs us up. No one's like, no, that sounds kind of boring. Like no, we want to bear fruit. We want to live a life worthy of the manner of the Lord. So how do we do that? We do that by abiding. So he's praying that they would have God's perspective, meet God, be with God, and in that process, live a life that reflects that. So that's the first half of his prayer. All right, so Paul's already praying, right? He's halfway through a prayer, and he's going to transition this to a different tone here. So that's what he's saying. He's talking about bearing fruit, walk in a manner worthy. Now let's look at verse 11. And I just want to look at verse 11 right now because it's going to switch gears. But look at verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So we've just seen that Paul was praying constantly. He was praying for them to have God's perspective, praying for them to know God but also bear fruit. And then he transitions that you might have strength. I find that very interesting. Why does Paul say, hey, I want you to bear fruit. I want you to know God, know God's perspective, and I need you to have strength. Wouldn't you think that you wouldn't have to pray for that, that strength would just automatically come? But Paul says, I pray that you have strength. And as I was studying this text, this theme came out to me. He says that we be strengthened with all power. You know, they're already bearing fruit, weren't they? He says that you would continue to bear fruit. You'd walk in a manner worthy. You would think that the person who's not bearing fruit would be the person who needs strength. 
But Paul says that the person who's bearing fruit needs the strength. In other words, you can be walking with the Lord. You can be surrendered to him. You can be totally submissive to the Holy Spirit. And even in that moment, need the strength of the Lord. And that doesn't make you lesser than. That doesn't make you a weak vessel. That doesn't make you incompetent. It just means that you are in desperate need of God's strength. And Paul knew that. You can be living a life that's completely abundant in living out the Christian life and still need strength. And that's what hit me this week. That so many of us, we, we come to each other and we'll say, I'm just worn out. I'm tired. I, I don't have any strength within me. And we'll say, well, what's going on? And they're like, nothing's going on. It's just normal life. I'm just following the Lord. Now, at times, there are things that are happening, right? But I want to talk about those moments where, like, nothing crazy's happened. I'm just following the Lord. But, man, I'm weary. Well, it's not a bad thing to need strength in that moment. Paul says that the church needed strength in that moment. So when you're down in that moment, when you're down and you're struggling and you're feeling weak, it's okay to need strength. I feel like part of t- sometimes we just need to be told, hey, it's okay to feel a little weak right now and that you need God's strength. Uh, we think we just got to have it together. And I'm talking about this for your own self, but you also can see this in your, in your friend's life when they're struggling. Like, man, I'm just struggling. And you're like, that's okay. We, it's okay that you are in need of God's strength. Let's talk about God's strength. It says that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So the strength is, is not something that we muster up from within. Uh, we live in a culture that says, man, if you feel weak, find the strength within, go and accomplish the hard task in front of you, right? We'll say mind over matter and just go ahead and find this inner strength. And that's not at all what he's saying. He's saying that you might be strengthened with all power, which we might say, yeah, that sounds great, a, a, a strong strength. But he says, according to God's glorious might, according to God's power, will you be strengthened? There's a reliance here in Paul's prayer for God's strength to be relevant in that, their, that church's life. I want you to think about a moment that you felt utterly weak, but you knew that God's strength was carrying you. A moment where you did not have your stuff together, but you knew it was the strength of the Lord that got you through. This is what we're talking about. How God's strength sees us in those moments. And I just want to emphasize again that you can be bearing fruit in your life and still feel weak. I I think we get that backwards. Like, I'm bearing fruit in my life. I shouldn't feel weak. I should feel, and we insert whatever emotion. But we actually get strength from the Lord. And in those moments, we're independent upon strength. I love that word there, dependence, because this is what this text is talking about. He's saying that we might be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. There's a total dependence upon God for strength in our life. Dependence upon God. When we begin to depend upon ourselves for strength, and we're essentially saying, God, I've got this in my own ability. I don't need you to be my strength right now. I've got it. But Paul was praying that this church would be totally dependent upon God for strength. That dependence upon 
God. Asking for strength because you feel weak isn't a bad thing. You haven't failed when you feel weak. You haven't failed when you feel like you need strength. It just means you need strength. But what does he say about this strength? He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for what? For all endurance and patience with joy. Let's just talk about that. Often things that require endurance and patience make us feel weak and we need strength for them. Another word for that word patience is long suffering. Things that we thought would be over by now, we need strength for. Things that we thought we would move on past now, the hardship we might be facing, we need strength for. He says, why do we need strength? For endurance. So if God's asked you to do something, maybe it's praying for a friend. Maybe it's loving a family member you don't want to love. Maybe it's witnessing to your roommate. I was talking to someone in a hospital the other day. Maybe it's just continuing to do what the doctors say. Those things require strength because they also require endurance. We don't like things that are endurance. I don't mean that just from a, a workout standpoint, although most of y'all don't like to run. But I do, I'm talking about things in life that take longer than they should. How many of y'all have ever said this? I just thought we'd be past this by now. I thought we'd be beyond this. I thought, you know, this would be something way past my life. And God's saying, no, you're still in it, and you need endurance. And you're only going to get endurance by relying upon my strength. I want you to flip this now and think less about you and more about your friend. Your friend who's going through something right now. If you were to think of someone in your mind, who's your friend that has been going through that endurance, that patience, that long-suffering? The one that's been struggling for a while. What would it look like for you to begin to intercede on their behalf so that they might have strength according to his glorious might? They might have strength according to his glorious might. There's a second part about this verse, and it says that we might have strength uh, for in, in endurance and patience. What does he say? It says, in with joy, for all endurance and patience with joy. What's the condition of our endurance? What's the condition of our patience? That as we're walking through things, as we are learning to endure, there's joy in the midst of that. Well, what is the joy based on? Well, y'all remember the verse, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. Joy comes by the spirit living itself out within us. That should ring a bell. Fruit of the Spirit. Fruit. He just said you're bearing fruit in every good way. Y'all remember that? He just said you're bearing fruit in every good way. So as you're going and you need endurance and you need patience, you're still bearing fruit even though you need endurance and you need patience. And what's the fruit you're going to bear in the midst of endurance and patience when you're relying upon the strength of the Lord? Joy. You produce joy in your life when you're relying upon the strength of God in the midst of of moments where you need patience. I say you produce, but I like to correct myself. I think God brings about within us joy. Joy comes when we rely upon the strength of the Lord. I think we just need to pray that for our, uh, our friends. We need to pray that for our friends. Uh, this, this whole passage reminds me of a verse in, one, in Psalm 139. Um, that's where he talks about, you know, where shall I go from my, your spirit? Where shall I flee from presence? 
If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the belly of Sheol, you're there. And he, he says, if I take the wings of the morning, and if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hands shall lead me and your right hands shall hold me. I want you to look at that last phrase. He says, even there your hands shall lead me. We understand being led by the Lord, right? We get that. But then it says, and your right hand shall hold me. To be held by God is to be in the strength of God. To be held by God is to be dependent upon God's strength. My little child, I have two little kids, they'll come to me for all kinds of reasons. They're crying all the time. It's, I love them. It's whatever. But they'll come to me just feeling weak, and I just need to give them a hug. Most of the time I just say, you're fine. <laughs> but they're dependent upon my strength to help them through that moment. Uh, they literally will just run to me. They're totally fine. All they have to do, though, is just see me, give me a hug, and they'll run back. Why? It's because they needed to interact with the strength of their father, and now they can go back to the world. And I think this is what this verse is talking about. It says, your right hand shall hold me. In moments where you have, need endurance and patience, where your friends need endurance and patience, you need to be in, encountering the strength of your father, where he's holding you, he's caring for you. That's what this picture is. And so when we pray, when we pray, we're not just saying, God, this, this season of life's hard. We're saying, God, give me strength. I need endurance. I thought we'd be done by now. Give me strength. And he, when, when we do that, he produces joy. Let's go on to verse 12. So we have this whole cycle, thanking God, God, may we have your perspective. God, may we bear the fruit. God, as we continue to live this life worthy of, of, of you, help us to have endurance. Help us have strength. And he says this in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Okay, we just got to stop there real quick. Okay, so he says we're going to give thanks to the Father. I'm going to do that thing where I want to tell us we're going to come back to that. All right? I want to look at the phrase, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Okay, that's a super churchy phrase. I don't think any of us would say pretty often, hey, Brady, you've been qualified. Uh, we would only say that for like, you've been qualified for a down payment on a car. You know, we wouldn't say, you've been qualified to be a part of the inheritance of the saints of the light. And I, you would just say, thanks, brother. You know, like, uh, like that's such an odd <laughs> phrase. Like, thank you. Uh, I th- <laughs> yeah, great. All right, so let's break that down. So, qualified. So he says that you are eligible. There's another way of saying that. You've become eligible to share in the inheritance of the saints. What's the inheritance of the saints? It's relationship with Jesus. It's the spirit living within him. It's salvation. It's forgiveness of sin. It's Hope when all you have feels hopeless. That's the inheritance of the saints. He says you've now become qualified. What does that mean? It means that you used to not be qualified. He says you've become qualified to receive salvation. How did we become qualified? That's the question that should be in your mind. How did we become qualified? How did we become eligible? Look at verse 13, and we're going to look at this, and it's going to absolute 
let me point to the gospel, the things we already know. But every time I share the gospel, this is the part that comes up. He says, he, we're talking about Jesus, talking about God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, who has qualified you? God has qualified you. He says, giving thanks to the Father, which I said we're going to come back to, but he says, the Father has qualified you. Little side note, this absolutely points to the triune nature of God. Because here Paul says that the Father has qualified you. And we also know that it was Jesus' death that has qualified you. Pointing to the triune nature of God and Jesus, he says that he has qualified you. In other words, who has not qualified themselves? Us. An inheritance is not something that you earn. An inheritance is given to you. It's passed down to you. So at the core of the gospel is that you've been qualified by someone else and they're going to give you a gift that you didn't earn. That's at the core of it. Okay, now if you've been in church long enough, you've heard that sentence and you're like, yeah, it's the gospel, cool. It's like, okay, no, bro, hold on. We just like hear church things and let them come in our ear and go out the other. Like, you were in a domain of darkness. You were in a place that was not full of hope. You were in a place where you struggled, where sin was your master, where you were enslaved to the desires of your sin, where you were absolutely cut off from a relationship with God and hopeless, the domain of darkness, ruled by Satan. That is not a healthy place. He says, but God has given you a gift because he saw you in that broken, hopeless state. And he said, I actually want to bring him into the kingdom of my beloved son. Kingdom, that means that there's a king, Jesus. He's the king, beloved son. The son is king. Jesus is king. This is the place of hope. This is the place of light, not of darkness. The domain of darkness was ruled by Satan. The kingdom of the beloved son is ruled by Jesus. And he says, you've now been transferred to this place. That's what he's been praying for them. Guys, when we share the gospel with our friends, we sometimes just say like, hey, I want to tell you how you can go to heaven when you die. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to commit your life to him. You need to admit you're our sinner. And, and, and you can go to heaven. But that is such a short-sighted gospel. Is there anything wrong with that? No, 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 nothing wrong. But what if there's something so much greater? Is that you were in, they're in darkness. They're enslaved. I want to look at, look at Romans 6. This just makes a perfect example of this. I think we got it on the screen. Look at Romans 6. I want you all to just understand the reality of those two kingdoms. Because when we understand the reality of the two kingdoms, the way we share the gospel changes. The way we see our friends changes. So Paul's talking, and he's building a case for something, and we can talk about what Romans 6 is all about, but let's just look at this right now. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here we are. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we might be no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free 
from sin. That's talking about moving from domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. Then he says, look, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. And we're going to keep going here. So we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Dominion of darkness no longer has dominion over Jesus. And because it doesn't have dominion over Jesus, there's opportunity for us in that. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. The life he lives, he lived to God. So you also might consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do y'all see that? The domain of darkness is sin and death. And he says, I want more than just to send people to heaven when they die so they can see their grandpa who believed in Jesus, but rather dead to sin, alive to Christ. Alive, alive, alive. And so when we share the gospel with our friend, I'm saying, do you want life? Do you want life? When God creates Adam in Genesis 2, what does he do? He forms them from the dust of the ground, which I think is incredible. I've never formed anything that cool out of the dust of the ground. He forms, he forms Adam from the dust of the ground, and then he says he breathes his breath into his nostrils. And it says that Adam came alive. That word breath is another word for spirit. God places his spirit within man, and man becomes alive. Man did not come alive before the spirit of God was placed within him. Man today... All of humanity today is dead absent the Spirit of God because we always were meant to be alive, brought to life by the Spirit of God. And so when he says you're part of the domain of darkness, you're part of this realm, you're part of this place of sin and hope and ruled by Satan, there's no life. And so when we share the gospel with people, it's much more like, hey, you should believe in Christianity instead of what you do believe in. No, it's like, dude, you're dead you have no life, but Jesus wants to give you life as something that you're qualified for because he died for you. Do y'all see how that's so much greater? Dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. But we live in Jesus' kingdom. So, okay, this is all about a praying life. So how do we pray this? How do we pray this? Well, one, we pray this for ourselves. Salvation is like the ultimate thing that if you grew up in church and gave your life to the Lord, you're like super casual about. Because you've been around the block, you've heard people share their testimony, you've heard someone give their life to the Lord, and you've, and it's just like, okay, cool, yeah, whatever, I did that. And so we've become numb to the reality that God gave us an inheritance we didn't deserve. He qualified us for something that we could never do ourselves. And he, he took us out of this place of hopeless despair and gave us life. We become numb to that. And if that's you, like, your prayer is, God, may just the, the wonder of the salvation you've given me stir in my heart. Like, bring life back into my bones. Like, help me not to just be numb to the fact that I've been saved. That's the first thing. The other thing is for your friends. God, I see them living in death. I see them hurting. I see them wanting to get out of death, but just stuck in this rat race of domain of darkness. And there's a gift for them. If they would just lay their life down and say, Jesus, all to you. That's the prayer. And guys, I believe God is on the verge of doing an incredible work on our campus. I think he's already starting it. We're starting to see it this past week. People coming to know the Lord. Surrendering their life to Jesus. 
What if God wants to do that in your friend's life? And what we need to do is get on our knees and beg the Lord that he would help them understand that they can go from darkness to light. We can pray this for our friends. We can pray this for our family members. We can pray this and see what God might do. We become apathetic. And I don't think Paul was apathetic in this letter. He's saying, look, domain of darkness, life. So that's my challenge. Who are you praying for? They would be transferred from domain of darkness to light. Think of a name. Who are you praying for? Get on your knees and pray. And see what God might do. And if God saves them, let's throw a party. And if you get to have a gospel conversation with someone, go buy ice cream. Like, let's celebrate. Because we want to celebrate what God's doing. So I'm going to pray because we got to go baptize some people. And, um, and I'm a little long-winded on baptism day, and that's not a good thing. So, uh, so yeah, let's pray. And if you're getting baptized, we're just going to walk out together during announcements. All right. Let's pray. Hey, God, thank you that we have been brought from darkness to light. And, God, I just pray that we pray for our friends, that you would do something, God. Move. We need you. We're dependent upon your strength, and we need you. you. People only come to you when you draw them. We need you to draw them to you. God, we're about to present the gospel in this main service. We need people to return to you, to turn to you maybe for the first time, to lay down the sin in their life that they're holding on to, that they're placing their identity in, to lay it down and realize that you are far greater than anything. That's what we need, God. And so we ask for that today. We ask for that in the upcoming weeks, this semester. We ask for boldness as we talk to our friends. We ask for endurance to pray. Yes, God. Thank you for baptisms and that you're doing a mighty work. In your name we pray. Amen.